Do you live life at the extremes? That's what addiction is all about. We'll talk today about extremes and balance in this episode of Recovery Support with Kevin Bergen. This is Recovery Support, and I'm Kevin Bergen, licensed psychotherapist. This show is to support those in recovery from sexually compulsive behavior and to offer that support with education, inspiration, and motivation. Welcome to this episode. It's good to be back after a little break. My computer died on me, and I ended up having to get a whole new system. My computer's pretty crucial to producing this free podcast. With the increased expense, any of your contributions to the podcast will be especially helpful at this time. I'll say more about how to contribute at the end of the show. So, do you find your life being spent in extremes? You might feel out of control or might find that you're over-controlled. In either case, living in extremes is a big part of living in addiction. We're going to read from Patrick Karn's book, A Gentle Path Through the Twelve Steps. This is a terrific book for anyone going through a 12-step program, and it's available either in print or in audio form. I'm going to share from chapter one today where Dr. Carnes talks about living life either out of control or with too much control, where life becomes either chaotic or too rigid, and our social or relationship approach is either isolated or enmeshed. Let's start right in with Dr. Patrick Carnes' book, A Gentle Path Through the Twelve Steps, on page five. Some words about working the program. Although new members of 12-step programs often hear about working the program, just what that means is often unclear. Each fellowship has its own definition. A bulimic worried about binging gets one response. An alcoholic who wants a drink gets a different one. Even in the same kind of fellowship, such as AA or OA, groups vary according to members' ages, experience, and backgrounds. But some common elements exist that transcend the various fellowships. Going to 12-step meetings is the basic building block of recovery. Any meeting will help. Usually, a recovering person tries to attend one or two meetings a week, every week. Becoming involved with the life of those meetings provides a solid foundation for recovery. Making a step presentation in the meetings or taking on a group leadership position such as treasurer or group representative are good ways for new members to become involved in the process. The time will come when any meeting will restore the serenity that goes with belonging to the fellowship, but for beginners, as well as experienced members, having a primary group or two anchors them in a program. Much of working a program, however, goes on outside a meeting. Most recovering people learn about the program from applying program principles to their real-life problems. Members of the group become consultants and teachers as a new member talks about the challenges of early recovery. Those relationships often last a long time, and even if they change, a recovering person learns how to get help from several sources and not to face things alone. 12-step fellowships assist people with dependency problems in getting support and effective problem solving. 
Most groups also have a social life outside the meetings. Before or after meetings, people meet for coffee or food. Sometimes favorite restaurants become gathering spots. Some groups have regular breakfasts or lunches where people gather as sort of a second group meeting for extra support. Some groups have retreats together to intensify work on the program. While these are not part of the program, they are essential to program life. To regard them as an option for which one does not have time is to miss out on an important part of developing a program for oneself, building a support network. One major obstacle you may need to overcome as a new member is a reluctance to use the telephone. To feel comfortable only when talking about serious issues face-to-face -face limits your ability to use your consultants. Addicted people are not good at asking for help in general, and they will resist using the phone even at the most crucial times. Thus, they stay in their isolation. Using the phone can become a habit. At first, it serves as a crisis hotline. As recovery progresses, it becomes a tool for maintaining and deepening intimacy. Some program veterans hold on to their phone phobias and still put together successful recoveries. They are rare, however. Many groups urge newcomers to get a phone list and make practice calls from the start. A key figure in developing a program is your sponsor. The 12 steps in many ways are a demanding discipline. At whatever stage of recovery, early as well as advanced, new challenges emerge constantly in applying the steps. Recovering people select a sponsor, sometimes two, to serve as a principal guide and witness. In early recovery, contact with the sponsor is often daily and at times hourly. The sponsor does not have to be much more expert than you. Your sponsor is simply someone who agrees to be your sponsor, knows your whole story, can hold you accountable for how you work your program, keeps the focus on how the steps apply to your life, can be honest with you, and will support you. Sometimes sponsorship evolves into friendship, but the sponsor's chief goal is to help you understand your story. Sponsors also enhance their recoveries by helping you. 12-step fellowships exist to help people stop self-destructive behavior over which they are powerless. Central to stopping the behavior is defining sobriety. Sometimes that's difficult to do. What is a slip for a codependent or a compulsive eater? Does sobriety mean just abstinence for the alcoholic, or is it other behavior to be avoided as well? Most recovering people find that their understanding of sobriety evolves over time and that it goes beyond just stopping self-destructive behavior. It also means embracing new behaviors. Later in this workbook, you'll have a chance to examine your definition of sobriety. At the outset, however, you'll need to talk with your sponsor and your group about what you will not do. You may be powerless over your addiction, but you are responsible for your recovery. Many people find initiating a recovery program extremely difficult. In earlier times, 
The only solution when things got rough was to attend more meetings. Fortunately, professional therapists and treatment facilities now support the recovery process for the many forms of addictive illness. They've become extended partners to the fellowship. When you feel discouraged, read the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, the original fellowship, especially chapters 5 and 6. Composed in the days when professional support was unavailable and even hostile to 12-step programs, it serves as inspiration to all who wish to transform their lives. The 12 steps form a process that promotes two qualities in its membership, honesty and spirituality. Starting with the first admission of powerlessness, the steps demand a high level of accountability to oneself and others. Only one way exists to maintain that level of integrity, a committed spirituality. The fellowship becomes a community that supports this process. The program, however, is not abstract, but very concrete. You work your program whenever you make a call for support, whenever you do a daily meditation of the program, admit your powerlessness, are honest about your mistakes and shortcomings, have a spiritual awareness, support another program person, whenever actively working on a step, working for balance in your life, whenever you focus on today, take responsibility for your choices, feelings, and actions. Do something to mend harm you caused. Attend a meeting, give a meeting, or maintain a defined sobriety. Addicts and co-addicts live in the extremes. No middle ground exists. You, as an addict, are like a light switch that is either totally on or totally off. Life, however, requires a rheostat, a switch mechanism in which there are various degrees of middle ground. Mental health involves a disciplined balance that relies on self-limits and boundaries. Nowhere is that more evident than in the two core issues that all addicts, including co-addicts, face. Intimacy and dependency. The most obvious extreme is dependency on a mood-altering drug or experience, like sex, gambling, or eating, in order to cope with life. The chemical or experience becomes the trusted source of nurturing or a way to avoid pain or anxiety. All else is sacrificed or compromised. Workaholism, compulsive spending, high-risk experiences like skydiving or racing simply fill out the range of options to lose oneself. In the grip of addiction or obsessive behavior, life becomes chaotic and crisis-filled. Addicts and co-addicts live in excess and on the edge. Because they don't complete things, they have much unfinished business. They lack boundaries, so they often don't use good judgment. Others see them as irresponsible and lacking in common sense. The opposite excess extreme is grounded in over-control. Sexual obsession, for example, can be expressed as either sexual addiction or compulsive abstinence. 
many adult children of alcoholics who become compulsive non-drinkers are as obsessed with alcohol as their alcoholic parents. An anorexic and a compulsive overeater are both obsessed with food. Overcontrol may be reflected in behaviors such as compulsive dieting and saving, extreme religiosity, phobic responses, panic attacks, and procrastination. For those with a strong need to control people, events, or their emotions, life becomes rigid, empty, and sterile. Risks are to be avoided at all costs. The fear of beginning new projects or experimenting with new behaviors is sustained by harsh judgmental attitudes and perfectionism. Living in deprivation may seem better than being out of control, but it's still an obsessive lifestyle that leads to loss of self. Recovering people can fall into a real trap if they switch from one extreme to the other and believe that the shift equals true change. Out of control versus over control. Alcoholism versus compulsive non-drinking. Sex addiction versus compulsive non-sexuality. Compulsive eating versus anorexia. Compulsive gambling versus extreme religiosity. High-risk experiences versus phobic responses. Procrastination versus workaholism. Compulsive spending versus compulsive saving. Then life becomes chaotic versus rigid. Living on the edge versus risk avoidant. Crisis filled versus empty. Unfinished versus fear of beginning. No common sense versus judgmental. Irresponsible versus perfection, and excess versus deprivation. When some of these obsessive behaviors mix, life becomes even more complex. Consider this couple. He's a sex addict and an alcoholic. She is a compulsive overeater. She attempts to control his addiction by throwing out his playboys and his booze. He monitors her eating and criticizes her weight. They're both codependent. Each is obsessed with what the other is doing, each believing that he or she has the power to change the other. As his sex addiction becomes more out of control, although he believes he can control it, she becomes more non-sexual, acting as if she has the power to balance the equation. Even her excessive weight becomes a way for her to exert power by making her sexually unattractive. The reality is they're both powerless in some ways they've not acknowledged. Variations on this theme plague couples and families in which addiction thrives. A person can even live in simultaneous internal extremes. For example, think of the bulimic who both binges, overeats, and purges or vomits. Only one way exists for people to fight living in such addictive extremes, to admit to the reality of their powerlessness. 
To accomplish that task, another issue needs to be faced. Intimacy. Addicts and co-addicts seek closeness, nurturing, and love. In many ways, addiction derives its compelling force because of a failure of intimacy. Addictive, again including co-addictive, obsession replaces human bonding and caring. With no emotional rheostat, you can live an isolated, lonely existence in which you build walls around yourself, deny your own needs, and share nothing of yourself. Or, you flip to an emotionally enmeshed existence, in which you're so over-involved you feel trapped and smothered. You concentrate on meeting the needs of another person and take responsibility for that person's behavior. No boundaries exist, and consequently no privacy exists. Again, a pattern of living in the extremes emerges. Isolated versus enmeshed is seen as denial of needs versus needs of others take priority. Lonely versus smothered. No sharing versus no privacy. Alienated from others versus responsible for others. And extreme boundaries versus no boundaries at all. Add out of control with isolated. That's one extreme you get off center. Add over control with enmeshed and you get off center in another way. Co-addiction and addiction is extreme living out of control, either too isolated or too enmeshed. Recovery, that is centered living, is balance, focus, and responsibility for self. The 12 steps offer you a path out of extreme living. Three themes remain constant throughout the 12-step process. Balance, focus, and responsibility for self. Balance is to avoid either-or extremes. Focus is to live in the present, a day at a time, not in the future or the past. And responsibility for self, to live within your own human limits. With these three themes as a basis for living your life, recovery becomes possible. And that concludes today our reading from Patrick Karn's book, A Gentle Path Through the Twelve Steps. Today I'm going to finish by offering the third step prayer. And as I've said many times, you can find the third step prayer by Googling third step prayer or looking on page 63 of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous or on page 95 of the S.A. White book. If you know it, please join. God, I offer myself to thee to build with me and do with me as thou wilt. Relieve me of the bondage of self that I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties, that victory over them may bear witness to those I would help of thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. May I do thy will always. 
You can now follow me on Twitter, where my ID is clearhelp. And you can find my Twitter profile link on my website, kevinbergen.com. You can also email me at kbrecoverysupport at gmail.com. As I mentioned earlier, I do accept contributions to cover the expenses of this free podcast. You can donate via PayPal through the link on the show notes page, which is at recoverysupport.podbean.com. The Recovery Support Podcast does not promote any particular 12-step program or fellowship and only informs about resources that I found helpful to my clients. Look at the show notes at recoverysupport.podbean.com and have a terrific week and have a sober day.